1: We have a special segment today. We are talking with Elise Wells. Elise is a practicing witch for over 10 years on three continents. She is initiated into an eclectic fairy tradition coven. She is the creator of Seeking Numina, bringing you to sacred sites and practices from around the world through online workshops and meditation, and in Greece, in person, through tours and retreats. She also co-hosts the Magic Kitchen Podcasts and you can read her work and sign up for her newsletter at SeekingNumina.com and through her Instagram at SeekingNumina. So hi, how are you? I'm good. It's we're into this mercury
0: retrograde but it's I'm managing.
1: <laughs> it's going all right. I'm not. This I normally not <laughs> affected by the planets at all ever. And I feel like this time was like, oh, let's take all of those times where you weren't affected and let's just make everything very difficult. Every day has been a practice in like keeping my blood pressure under control. (laughs) I'm just like, now's (laughs) the time to learn how to just like, don't get stressed out. Don't let it affect you. Yeah, this is definitely a killer.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that because I felt I've had the same thoughts this week because- It's this for some reason. I need to look deeper into it. I'm not an astrologer by trade, but there must be something cosmically that's like pushing shadow work. Like there's been things I thought I moved past that I keep, you know, finding myself thinking about or feeling again. It's also my Saturn return as of Monday. I just turned 28. So I think that could be it too.
1: Oh gosh. And like I'm an Aries. So uh, we've had a very hard time and I'm burning bridges left and right like no regrets matches at hand i'm like let's go let's just burn it all down
0: good for you because as a taurus i can i can look past we're we're good we're grounded but when we do have things we like the way they are and something starts to shift we don't always want to acknowledge it right away and and i i was a person who didn't know how to how to burn those bridges that was part of the shadow work that i did work through that hasn't come back up this time so that's good but But good for you. That's
1: hard. It's hard to like break out of that people pleasing mindset. It really is. Um, Speaking of people pleasing, I love that you have a kitchen witch podcast and not to put you on the spot, (laughs) but I love kitchen witchery very much. Yeah, it's the most
0: intuitive witchcraft, I think. I think it's something especially, you know, societally women were, were kind of brought up to to, to know we're going to be good cooks or something, or want to be, you know, that we should be good cooks or should be comfortable in the kitchen. Um, so I like that Kitchen Witchcraft is a chance to reclaim that and decolonize that mindset a little bit more and, and make it a place of power, make it our space. It's very primal. It's very... Yeah, um, it's ancestrally my, connected.
1: It really is. And my favorite moments in the whole world is being in a kitchen, Um, And have music playing and have a friend just like hang like there with me and just cooking. Oh, yeah, Oh, it's the best. I love that.
0: (laughs) And I love too. like like actually good example. I'm drinking my first batch of springtime iced tea. It's finally warm enough. And even though I live in Greece, it's a misnomer that Greece is warm all the time. We actually get really brutal winters and I live right by the beach. So the winds are insanely cold until like right about now, end of April. Um, but I needed a boost with this mercury retrograde. So I went in my kitchen and I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, I'm going to make my first iced tea. And I went with rose petals for some self-love chamomile to calm things down and some licorice to remind myself that I'm, you know, I got this, like I'm, I'm a boss bitch. (laughs) You know, like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, so something we're talking about today, uh, which, works with kind of what you do for a living is sacred spaces and um areas and actually this is a good time maybe like two months ago you know we we read headlines on the show because it's a daily show so we do headlines and stuff like that and I came across this article and it was by National Geographic so I'm going to tell you all the things about this article And you tell me what you think would be in the article. So it was by National Geographic. And it was like, paganism is on the rise. Um, Oh, I think I read this one. And I was like, are you kidding? It was like, it's the spots you can go to connect paganism. And it was literally just like trying to sell tickets to events in like Salem. Which like, no offense to Salem. But like, that's not what I think of when I think of like, connect to paganism with sacred sites i'm thinking stonehenge i'm thinking yeah. like all of these really beautiful places where paganism occurred not yeah. uh you know again no offense to salem but not one of the most uh commercialized version of
0: you know well, it was just... salem isn't actually where the witches were hung like Are i imagine they? that's why someone's going right it's to connect to those victims. And they were hung way down the road. So where you're buying your Harry Potter wands (laughs) isn't really related to the history you read about. Um, and And there is some nice sites there, but when I talk about sacred place, spirit of place, Nubina is a Latin word that means spiritual places, places of spiritual and divine power. And the Romans, the Greeks, even in China, everybody had an understanding that places had a spirit to them. And the Romans had a word for these spirits and they personified them as genius loci. And, you know, in Ireland, the Celts had the fae. And there's a lot of different ways we can categorize them. In Greece, I also categorize the nymphs as spirit of place, as spirits of place um, or satyrs. But they're everywhere. You know, it's a misnomer that you have to travel. You have to get on an airplane and go to another country to connect to divinity because Every place has spirits and, and in America too, like a lot of Americans think that because America is newly, n- newly colonized and that because it was colonized that it's it's not their land they can connect to. And I always say that's that's not true. You know, it, it's one thing to appropriate Native American culture, that's a no-no. But if you live on land, you live there. You're not gonna move just because you were the ancestor of a colonizer. It's just a fact, you have to, it's still your home. So what are you going to do? Are you going to ignore the land spirits? or Are you going to go out there and say, here's, here's who I am. Here's a little offering of some honey or some iced tea that I made. And I'd like to get to know you better. And then you tend that land and you make sure you don't use fertilizers that are harmful to the environment. And you don't kill the bunnies when you mow your lawn. And maybe you get rid of the lawn entirely and replace it with native plants. That's tending to the spirit. That's fostering a relationship with that spirit of place. And, now your backyard is a spiritual place. And when I lived, before I moved to Greece, I actually lived in Baltimore for four years and I didn't have a yard. I had a small apartment in a big building, but what I did have nearby was a cemetery. And that cemetery is still, I've, I've been to 40 countries, I think at this point, but still that cemetery is a place that had a unique energy. And that whenever I'm in the area, I like to go back to visit it. The spirits there were just, they were just settled. There really weren't any of the people that were buried there, but there was a lot of trees there that, you know, predated the Civil War. So that was mostly what the energy of that space was. And, you know, when we come and pass through, we kind of contribute to the energy. So there was a, a peaceful sort of, you know, people walked their dogs there and stuff. Like it was just a in a nice environment
1: to, to hang out in. So yeah, spirit of place it's isn't like- complicated. Yeah that kind of goes into Kat's question. Kat says, what makes a spot sacred? I'm curious because I currently live with a forest behind me that has a small stream and quartz crystals. Much of the space does feel sacred. Yeah I I would
0: say that is a sacred place. As witches we always are looking for the liminal, for the in-betweens and streams are are that because they're moving water. That water doesn't stick around It moves through that area, but it also purifies, it heals. And those quartz crystals, they're being blessed by that. And they are being nurtured and fed and created by that stream. Creation, of course, is a primal element of what it means, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a witch, what it means to be human is to see death and life in the cycle of that. And whenever I see running water, especially if it's in a forest and there's, you've got all the elements there, you're going to have wind, you've got trees, you've got plants, you've got water. It's, it's a place that knows itself. That's, that's almost the definition I would give for a sacred place. It's something, a place that knows itself. And when it opens itself up to you, some places are more open than others when you offer yourself there, when you're vulnerable in that space, maybe you sit and meditate, maybe you bring a book and you read there, maybe you do some rituals outside in that space, you're gonna contribute to that energy, but you're also gonna, you're gonna get something in return from the energy that's already there. So sacred places I would say can be created in that way. Like we can foster them and and improve them. We can also make them worse. like, Like battlefields, for example, people pilgrimage to those, whether they call it that or not, like especially in the US, the civil war sites, that's a really recent war you know we're talking less than 200 years so there's a lot of recent pain and energy and i think part of us that's a sacred site too you know it's a place of great suffering a place of memorial so the energy of those sites was manufactured by the human actions that happened there but but it's still a sacred place
1: so that's so that's actually something to ask about um, you brought up something i never would have thought about which is that people do pilgrimage to places of great destruction. Um, And I mean, we see that with like dark tourism, the people who go to where JFK was shot and stuff like that. But speaking about war grounds, like that's not something I ever um, knew because I just never really grew up around any big areas where there were that, you know, like war places people would go to. But what but like that's a thing the like civil war reenactments yeah. and stuff so like what do you think is giving people that urge to go visit like what is what is creating that instinct to some people to go to like these places i
0: think whether you're a spiritually in tune person or not there's a part of our beings the part of us that's eternal whether we believe in reincarnation or not, there's, there's that, you know, they always say like when you put a body on a table, a dead body, like it weighs just that little bit less than it did when it was alive. That part of us, if nothing else, no matter what you believe, there's something of us that lasts longer than this body. And I think that part of us wants to be reconnected to the ultimate spiral, the cycle of life, you know, the creation and destruction two sides of that coin. And I think, Like with all negative things, death is one of them, of course, but also like bad memories. They're easier to call on. We can sometimes really get in our head with bad memories, but it's hard to get in our head with good memories and just be lost in the bubbly joy of remembering a good time. I think it's the same with places of suffering. I think that energy is more accessible to us, whether we're spiritually aware or not, And I think for those that are less spiritually aware, that darker energy, and I don't mean like darker in the like, you know, the goth sense, like, like we all could agree like bats are not inherently evil. I mean, like, like people who like to go to Auschwitz regularly, or people who like to go to battlefields, or people that like to visit, uh, when you mentioned dark tours of Chernobyl, I was thinking of Chernobyl, like, I'm actually at a place now where I get so affected by that negative energy that I have to do a lot of shielding to prepare myself to go to that kind of place. And it's not always worth it. I had a friend visit Auschwitz this past month and she invited me to come because it's not, Poland isn't that far from Greece. And sometimes there can be cheap flights. She said, why don't you fly over and meet me? I was like, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I don't want to spend my energy on that, you know, but, when I go to Amsterdam next month, I am going to go to the Anne Frank House because that's, that's a different kind of energy that I'm, I'm more open to experiencing. But yeah, I, I think people want to connect to, you know, spirituality, capital S, which is life and death. And those darker sites call to them because it's a more accessible energy. It's more on the surface. It's easier to accept as being there. And it's less,
1: it's less work to connect to it because it's so strong. I definitely had one of those instances where I like, you know, fucked around and found out. Because yeah. I <laughs> I am very much, I'm very much a ghosty gal and I really um I've always been a little morbid, a little macabre, and so I've always felt very comfortable with those subjects. Um however, I had never been to maybe a place that really horrific things had happened, especially recently. And I was traveling and I had the opportunity and it was actually not even by choice which ends up being a huge controversial thing but like we were just brought to like a really bad place where really horrible things had occurred like not even 10 years ago 10-15 years ago and but like I but like I knew what it was because I had seen this place on tv and I was like oh I know where we are and um I was like, Oh, this is going to be really neat because like, again, I'm a little, you know, gothy girl at heart. And I thought it was going to be interesting. Ooh, no, uh, uh, it, it, there was a whole different vibe and feeling and I had to leave. And, um, I definitely thought I was, I thought I was a brave little girl. And I was that (laughs) I was so scared. Well, I
0: no, I think that's a normal reaction. We actually looked at a house that I didn't know. I knew it was a good price and I had a kind of red flag in my head about it. But before we moved to Greece, we were thinking about buying a house. So we looked at this home and I walked in and I was like, Nope, sorry. Mm-mm, just not interested. And I Googled it and a woman had smothered her baby in there three months prior. And that's why it was affordable.
1: Cause you and can I, feel was,
0: that energy. Yeah. And, and it's and, very different. And I'm with you. Like I, I love ghosts. I, one of the things that I, I, was one of my highlights of working with ghosts was, um, in 2015, I want to say maybe, maybe 2016, I went to Gettysburg battlefield and I brought my pendulum and I went out into the woods and I connected with a ghost there who was this like younger boy. And he was like 17, he said, and through a long conversation, I got out of him, the numbers of of people in his unit, where he was from in Georgia. And when I got home, I Googled all of it and it was all completely true. And they had died in that den, they were ambushed by Union soldiers. So that was that was a good experience, but it was a tiring one. Like I think now
1: I I would prepare more before going into that situation. Um, so you touched on vortexes, which is something, at least I think you did, that uh, which is something um, that I have never really thought about as like a liminal space, but like so clearly, you know, um, and my home is very haunted and it is my belief because it you know there's a vortex here because the spirits who like I'll see one day, I know I won't see the next day. Like they always Ooh. feel very kind of temporary, like just for the day, and then they'll leave. Um, there's like one, there's like one or two who's who like um who stick around. Uh, but I feel like uh like a part of my soul is now embedded into this house. And I was like, if I ever had to move or leave. Part of me would would haunt this place because it has become such a part of my being, and I put so much love and care and energy, and I tend to it, and I talk to the spirits who are here. Um, and it really feels like such a special place. And I, I guess I never would have considered that uh, before. Yeah, that's spirits of place. That's like that's like more the the
0: accepted word. Except a definition of the word spirit, too, like ghosts. And sometimes it's it's people that live there. Other times it could have just been maybe somebody was given really bad news when they were in there. And they left an energetic imprint of their feelings when they were given that news. Maybe there was this really great rager somebody threw there. And that energy of that party, some people left little bits of themselves behind.
1: <laughs> it's funny. We have a ghost who likes to sprint up and down the porch at night. And I had a guest who stays here and like pays to stay here like in my guest room and the ghost kept waking her up and uh and like now she's just like when she first came here was not about ghosts and now she just accepts anything she hears probably the ghost and I had to go out there and I I was like listen people are paying to sleep here you need to knock (laughs) up did he like he stopped so i was just like what are oh, you that's doing nice.
0: we can't yeah do this? and that's i actually recently hosted a workshop on on how to connect i called it ethical ghost hunting but really like how to connect to ghosts in an ethical way because there is a lot of like if you watch paranormal shows like you know they're always like yelling at them they're like are you there hit the wall three times. It's like, if you were getting accosted like that, like you probably wouldn't respond well. But if you live in a home where you're constantly at a space that may or may not be haunted and you want to reach out to the spirits, like the way you did it is perfect. You're like, listen, here's the deal. I've got people staying. (laughs) We need to make this. We need to work this out between the two of us. You can
1: run tomorrow night, you know? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, you know, we have a great setup here. I take care of this house. I take care of everything here. And I just need you to be cool for like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Just while someone's trying to sleep here. Um, so actually Christy asked a really interesting question and she asked about ley lines. Um, so my question that's what is I thought of actually when you said vortexes. Yeah, so like that's my question. What are ley lines? Um, all I know from ley lines is charmed, so not a lot. So <laughs> what are ley lines? And like, are they sacred spots? Like, what's all that about? I think it's related. Um, So ley
0: lines are theoretically lines that cross the Earth's entire longitude or latitude at that place. And some of them intersect at multiple points. And there are places on the Earth that have supposedly have strong intersections of multiple ley lines. So New York City is one that supposedly has like some people say like up to 70 ley lines that intersected. So if you if you picture the globe and then you had a long yarn and you wrapped it around, some of those wraps would intersect more than others. Like New York would be a place where that supposedly overlaps a lot. I've also heard, heard New Orleans is one. And the idea of these ley lines is that they're essentially like spiritual currents and If you go to a place that is an intersection of them, it's going to have more power. So if there's lots of them intersecting, it's going to be super powerful, super like energetically charged. Um, People say you can find them by dowsing. There's different ways to douse. You can douse with pendulums. You can douse with dowsing rods, which are like long metal, usually copper wires that like stick out straight. And they sometimes have like a little hooked end and you look for where those get drawn together to overlap. And that's supposedly where a ley line is. Some people see them in photographs. My high priestess actually, our covenstead is a nature sanctuary. And where we go for these rituals, she's taking pictures and she gets this rainbow effect. No matter what phone she uses, what camera she uses, what time of day, it's at this one, we call it the three sisters. There's this intersection of three trees that grow together right by the river on our covenstead. And there's always this like U shape. And she had a friend who has a farmstead in the same ish area, like 20 minute drive apart. And this is in Pennsylvania. And she was telling her friend about it. And her friend said, did the lines look kind of like this? And they did. And so they looked at a map. They got a map of Pennsylvania and they realized that they connect directly in a straight line. So it's very possible that the properties are actually on the same ley line. And I wish I'd been to this this friend of a friend's property so that I could kind of compare the energies, but I would bet that the energies feel a little bit similar. So I do believe that there's probably ley lines under, you know, Stonehenge, the pyramids, you know, these
1: big, big name sacred sites. That's really fascinating. Um, that is really cool. I It's definitely, like, again, one of those terms I, I had heard, but just really, like, concretely really did not understand. If, if
0: I don't know how we could measure them, you know, like. But that's, that's my understanding of them. Like I would, I would love to have more of like a scientific, cause I'm a skeptical believer of, you know, my interactions with ghosts or like, I think it's important to approach anything we do spiritually with that mindset of like, you know, it's not, it's not in my head, but it could be. <laughs> so I'm always looking for how to debunk that. But ley lines are something that, you know, you feel it first and then you get verifications of other people's experiences and then you hear about where Leila might be, and it is that place that you all had these same separate experiences, and then it's like, okay, well, that kind of does make sense. Maybe that is
1: legit. That is really interesting. Um, Yeah, that's that's just really neat. Um, Another question, and this is from Wanda. Wanda says, working with liminal spaces or in between spaces, What is the best type of magic to work in these uh, places?
0: In between spaces.
1: I always feel like all magic
0: is going to just do its best there. Because it's what we're doing when we actualize any any spell, we're trying to manifest change in accordance with our will. So change is, is symbolic. When we look at liminality, it's symbolic of change because it's between states between places, between things. So any magic we do is given that boost. Like I always say doing spells at twilight or at dawn, and I'm a, I'm a night person, so twilight is it, it for me. Those tend to work better even than like the dark of night. But midnight is a good time too, because it's between days and everyone's asleep. And so it's kind of between waking too. So I would, I would say too, you could get really specific with it. Like if you had something you needed to release, doing it in a liminal time is good because you're moving into a new thing. So you're releasing that, you're leaving that behind.
1: So like midnight is a good time for releasing spells. And I also like the idea too, that like you're leaving whatever, um, you're getting rid of trapped in that in-between space. That's also- kind Yeah, of like a nice... yeah. It's a good visual. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely know, um, you know, people consider like, spirits of place and fae as beings that exist in that in-between space um yeah so do you work with uh spirits or fae personally yeah I do I am initiated in the fairy
0: tradition my my coven is a little bit more eclectic though because like traditionally the fairy tradition works with like specific archetypes of the god and goddess but in our tradition we all kind of have our own patrons and patronesses that come come into circle with us um outside of like our coven guardians but we do work with the fae. So that's that's the big one. Like when we call in the elements, we call in the fae of the land for each element. So traditionally we're taught sylphs for air, undines for water, salamanders for fire and gnomes for earth. But living in Greece, that just doesn't resonate. That's just not who's here. It's different nymphs, it's the four winds. It's uh, like for the sea, I always call on like Poseidon's daughters, the Nereids and the Naiads of the river spirits. So I localize it that way because even living in Baltimore, you know, I'm 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 listening to my high priestess. I'm like, okay, she says, call in the gnomes. I'll call in the gnomes, but I'm not feeling gnomes. Like that's not who's there. But in Ireland, I do feel more of like like the brownies and the the playful sprites that you think of when you think of Irish fae. Like the traditional vision of fairies, I think really comes from the Irish fae. Whereas like in Greece, they're like, they're like ethereal women. Like you almost see like flashes of, of ball gowns going behind trees when you're doing a ritual in the forest at twilight. Like it's, it's, it's very different here. But then in the Susquehanna in Pennsylvania, it's different too. Like they, they almost have animal natures to them and they're quiet. There's no giggling. They're very, like, observant.
1: So when I think of Greece, I think of, like, I think of, like, the muses. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, like, these just really kind of beautiful, sophisticated um, beings of, like, inspiration. We're very into the muses here in New Orleans.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like them, too. I'm in a poetry group, actually. We It's just a couple friends and I, but we, we named it after the muse
1: of, of epic poetry or spiritual poetry, Polymnia. Um, oh, so, wait, can you say that again? Polymnia? Uh, Polymnia. She's the, the muse, one of the muses of poetry because there's a couple.
0: Like, one of them's just for epic poetry, I believe. And then Cleo is, like, musical
1: lyrics, I think. So we have there's, there's so, lots of muses. Yeah, we have a problem here in New Orleans where uh, a lot of our streets are named after the muses. So uh, especially Ooh. like where I live uh, in the Garden District, a lot of the streets are, are named after muses. But we have a problem where our language, we because uh, the French um, were here. And so we say that we we say the muses names Based off of how maybe a Southerner would have interpreted a, a French person interpreting. Oh, the I Greek. love that. So, uh, um, Calliope is Calliope, um, and so we <laughs> say they're that. all all their names a little wrong because it's us interpreting. It's like Southern interpretation of French interpreting Greek.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I love that. I loved New Orleans. I visited in 2018. I'm pretty yeah, 2018
1: for Christmas. And but like yeah, everyone yeah. takes it very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to say it how it's said here. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. People take it very for real. Um, so my oh, so my next question is so let's say we have somebody um, like cats, or I think it was cat. Let me double check. Yes. So let's say we have someone like cat who does uh, feel like they have this space, um, where like near where they live that they believe is like a sacred spot. How can we nurture these places? That's a great question. The best way is
0: to offer your time. I always say witchcraft is 90% acknowledgement. It's being open to the fact that there is something there, that there might be something there, that there might be something contacting you. So if you go out there and you introduce yourself, if you're comfortable, if it's quiet, you don't feel like on the spot in a more public area, it's nice to literally just kind of talk to them and say who you are, maybe tell them a bit about your family, if, if it's like your home and, or if you walk your dog there or something like, you know, this is Buster. like, and then. I offer pieces of my hair. That's a big offering that I like to, to give. Even if I'm just in a, a forest or something and I'm walking and I'm just enjoying myself, I'm like, thanks for welcoming me. I just give some of my hair because it's totally biodegradable. Birds can use it in their nests. And it's a part of me that I'm leaving behind. Another good offering is anything you'd offer to a deity. So if you're, if you're used to giving a certain deity, like a, like your favorite drink, make an extra one and give it to spirit and you can pour it out or you can leave it on a place you feel called to place it. Same with like food items. If there's something that's animal friendly that you, that you bake, that can be a great offering. Um, And then there was, this can work too. Some, some people say like it, not every land spirit will enjoy this, but I've found that most do. If you play an instrument, go play an instrument outside. If you sing, go sing outside. If you make crafts, if you're a knitter, let's say, you could knit like a, a braid of just doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be fancy and go out and, and put it on a tree limb. So that there's really offerings of time, offerings of information, like who you are, what you're doing, what you would like the relationship to be, and you know the more traditional sense of offerings, food, drinks, et cetera. I would say that's the best way to nurture that relationship and and nurturing the land as well. You can do that and you can also just make sure you're treating the land well. Pick up litter when you're there. Uh, if, If you're able to, don't spray your lawn if you can refrain. I know a lot of people live in HOAs. What could help is maybe going to your HOA board and suggesting alternatives, something that's more bee friendly. Or maybe you could suggest like, you know, in the spring planting, like why don't we plant Lavender or Russian sage or something as the 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 median plant instead of, uh, you know, this bush because it's better for bees, like doing things to advocate for the land locally, because we always get caught up on like, you know, like the big changes that need to happen. But really, if we can affect change locally in our land,
1: we are making a difference. And actually, that's what we'll feel more because we're there all the time. So in so you have a company um, seeking nu, uh, Numina. Uh, yeah. And, and it's where you connect people to land spirits and practices and sacred sites. So can I ask more about that and like how, like yeah. what like what you do? So I I do online
0: workshops. I host those on Zoom through Eventbrite. And those are on my website, seekingnumina.com, and I also post them on my Instagram. Um, and I also have a Patreon community where I share rituals, articles, and journal prompts to connect with land spirits and, and also ways to use other, other witchy things. You know, I'll, I'll share kitchen, kitchen witchery that you can use to connect with your land spirits, things like that. Um, and then I also host people here in Greece. Right now I'm doing small groups, but I'm working up 2024. I'm going to do my first Full retreat to Greece, where I'll take people to different sacred sites on the mainland and a, and a couple of islands, and really really get you to meet the land spirits here. But I'm I'm still if somebody's interested in coming, contact me and I'll make it happen
1: for you. That is so interesting and definitely something I may reach out to you about at a future date. Uh, I'm really into travel right now, uh, so. That's definitely something I might reach out to because um, I actually do something really similar here in New Orleans where, um, you know, I have a guest room and I invite people to come and I'll show, you know, with the safety of someone who lives here, you know, I'll take them and I'll show them around and like give a little tour oh, nice. in different shops. So it's kind of like that, but just on a very, very much smaller uh, scale. But I think that is so neat and I actually thought about, like, I recently put together a list of places I would want to visit. And I came across uh, Greece. And I was like, Greece seems so um, cool and magical and wonderful. But I was like, I just don't yeah. know enough about it to know what I would want to do. So, uh, it's cool. Yeah, that I can plan so the fun. whole thing yeah. for you. Like,
0: y- if you come alone, if you want to get friends together. I'm working, too. I have a few friends and friends of friends that are now putting together retreats for people they know. So I'm I'm hosting some people in that kind of a retreat. Next year I'm planning to host my own witchy retreat. So I'm really excited
1: about that. You know, I want to have cool.
0: rituals at places and
1: yeah. So I'm really, really excited about that. I'm definitely going to sign up for your newsletter so I can keep up on that. Oh good. Yay. <laughs> yeah I'm always keeping people up on that and and my workshops. I try to do monthly workshops. So so that's all the questions we have for you. Was there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to uh, share? Uh, no, I think that's everything. If anybody has
0: any questions, feel free to reach out to me through my website, on Instagram, on Facebook. It's all Seeking Numina and Elise Wells. So you can find me either way. Which is, we hope you have a wonderful day, full of joy